0: Welcome to another edition of St. Paul's Letters to America. I am your host, whether you kind of like it or not. Um, Sorry for you, (laughs) but I'm your host, Ray Gerard. With me in our studio this morning, Mr. Bob Hennekes. You know Bob well by now. He says pearls of wisdom on every single program that we have. Bob, say something wise. Good morning, Ray. It's good to be with you. <laughs> okay, very, very, good, very good. Um, so, I guess I'm, there's not a little, you know, false advertising there. I mean, I, I built you up, and well, thank you, you. came through with, I guess, something very, you know, profound. Well, I was going to say something different, but whatever. <laughs> All right, let's get on to um, let's get onto the program. This is St. Paul's letters to America, and uh, this is where. We look at some issue in our society today and we ask a question. Hey, what if St. Paul were alive today? What if he knew about this issue, knew what was going on in our country? What exact what what advice uh would uh would he you know have for us exactly? What would he tell us? And if you're wondering that, gee, what if if he was alive today? If you happen to be wondering that question, and have come here looking for the answer. You are in luck because we're going to give you that answer. Um, Today, let's do it a little different. We're going to start with the letter from St. Paul. And, uh, you know, we we often say that these letters from St. Paul contain ideas that never go stale. They are always good ideas because they're true. And the truth, the truth is something that does not change. From place to place, time to time, person to person, there are things like truth. And in our world today, a lot of people don't believe that. But there are things like truth. And some of them are contained in the writings of St. Paul. And if we're interested in those, if we're interested in the truth then it, it might be worthwhile to hear. I say then, live by the Spirit, and you will certainly not gratify the desire of the flesh. For the flesh has desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are opposed to each other. The works of the flesh are obvious. Immorality, impurity, licentiousness, licentiousness. Idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, rivalry, jealousy, outbursts of fury, acts of selfishness, dissensions, factions. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified their flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also follow the Spirit. Let us not be conceited, provoking one another, envious of one another. This, although it was originally written and addressed to the Galatians, would, I dare say, be some of the same things St. Paul would tell us if he were alive today and if he wrote a letter addressed to the Americans. What's in here? Well, you know, we've got these ideas that certainly a lot of people would agree with, but... Um, Hey, you know, you know, peace, kindness, love, generosity—who could argue with those things? But he ties them to the kingdom of God. He ties them to God, as in all of his writings, a belief in God undergirds all of it. If there is—if you do not believe in, you know, there's this question we that we argue about, or that our society argues about are there such things as truths is there a truth you know pope uh, pope benedict had written i don't know if it was when he was when he was pope bob or maybe before
1: i think when he was cardinal ratzinger is
0: when he when he wrote it when he wrote what you got you 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 know what i'm going to talk about go ahead okay um but he wrote that the biggest problem in our world is relativism this idea that there is no Undying truth. The truth is what we make of it, what you make of it, what I make of it. We can have our own truths. We can't criticize each other for having a wrong idea about anything. If you do, you're a bigot, you're a racist, you're a closed-minded heathen of some sort or another. Um, We have to respect all people, which is a good thing. Um, But that we have to respect people no matter what they choose to believe, no matter what they choose to do. Can that really be the truth, that we have to respect people and agree with people and, and not criticize people no matter what they choose to do? How's How can a society work like that? What if somebody chooses to get violent? What if somebody chooses to hurt somebody? What if somebody chooses to destroy somebody else's property? Is that okay? Well, We've had riots in this country where the mayor of Baltimore, for example, said, yeah, okay, burn things because it's not, it's not for us to say that you should stop doing that, really. And we've had people tear down statues recently. They get, they get angry. They get agitated. They get frustrated. And they, have to, and they remove statues. They, they tear them down. Is that okay? Well, one statue that was torn down recently— was a statue of a priest called Father Unipero Serra. I didn't know much about Father Sarah um, until I actually, you know, prepare I prepared for this program, but I found out a lot more, and you are going to as well. That's if we do our job correctly. But, you know, going back to this letter from St. Paul, before we get started with all of that. He talks about the flesh and the spirit. Now, the flesh and the spirit—you're thinking sexuality and and the the spirit and the flesh opposed to one another. Boy, the church is telling me what I can and can't do. But it's you know it's it, it's 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 broader than that. It's deeper than that. It's not really. I mean, there yes, there's there's some of that in what Saint Paul is talking about. But that's that's not really the idea that's expressed here. The flesh and the spirit. The the overriding idea. That the the real idea is the difference between this world and the spiritual world. It's really the difference between humans thinking and acting as humans want to do and the world um, of Christ, the world of God, and what he wants for us. It's this proclamation of the idea that there is a truth. There is a way of life that God wants us to follow. There is a God. And he wants and, and he wants us to follow something. He and what is that? Oh, it might be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, gentleness. Those of what Paul Paul says are the fruit of the Spirit. And each and,
1: of us, Ray, has has these things in us that you're describing where we want to do well. We want to do good things, and at the same time, we have this desire for evil, the anger that you talked about, the severe anger, or the ranting. And it's hard for us, really hard for us as human beings, to truly control that and keep it on an even keel. In fact, impossible. And what I think St. Paul is saying is that until you can get in touch with God, until you truly let God into your heart, you are going to have this battle between good and evil going on, and you will choose both sides periodically. You will do kind things, and you will do horrible things, and you'll go back and forth. And the only chance to truly find a place where you are loving, as he's suggesting, is to allow God into your heart and allow him to help you get there. Without God, we are creatures that have evil in us. We are going to sin, right, but our only chance is to truly open our hearts and let God in, and then we can do all the things that he's saying. But difficult, very difficult for every one of us. In fact, for me, impossible. I still <laughs> am an absolute goofball.
0: Sure. Well, so St. Paul said the same thing, that he right. does things he doesn't want to do. You bet. So and Saint Paul, what about this, uh, Bob? He links these things to self-control, joy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, Gentleness, all these good-hearted, you know, loving, kind um, ways of behaving. And then he says, "Self-control, love, joy." I mean, self-control. self Why self-control? Um, I, mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's for exactly the reason that you're talking about. You We've got this penchant to do the opposite. You have to have self-control, and. You know, this idea of, of self-control, discipline, it's anathema today. We, this uh, world of relativism, you want to be, a, we want to protest. We need, you know, we're going to burn things because we're upset. We're going to burn things. Um, we're going to tear down statues. Well, the truth is tearing down a statue is wrong. Wrong when it's done the way that this was, it was done in San Francisco and in Sacramento last year with the destruction of the statues of, of uh, Father Sarah and other people. At the same time, the statue of Father Sarah was taken down uh, by a mob in Golden Gate Park. They also took down statues of Ulysses S. Grant, uh, Francis Scott Key, um, uh, Miguel de Cervantes, the writer of, uh, of Don Quixote. Um, you know, they didn't just tear down the statue of Father Sarah. They took down the statue. Now, why tear down the statue of Ulysses S. Grant? Why? I mean, we're just tearing down all kinds of statues all at the same time. Why? But here's the thing. Tearing down a statue is not right. It's never right. Hurting somebody else is never right destroying property that doesn't belong to you is not right. Excuse me, truth. it is a truth. Oh, but we had a good reason. No. I tell you what you don't want the statue of Father Sarah in that park. you don't want the statue of Father Sarah at the Capitol building in Sacramento I'll Tell you what you do. Why don't you go to the governor? Why don't you go to the state legislature and say, you know, we don't agree with that statute. We don't want it there. And guess, and if you know enough people in the legislature agree with you, then the government takes the statute down. The government put the statute up. You know the the, the statute is on government property. Uh, the government is the arbiter and representative of all of us. Uh, then the government decides to do this. That's the proper way to do it. To simply decide we are going to rush this place as a mob. Take the law into our own hands and destroy this statue. No, excuse me. Truth is, the truth is, that is wrong. And why is it wrong?
1: Well, every one of us, Ray, as a parent, knows that this is wrong. When we have a child that acts out, right? What do we do? Exactly. We sit the child down. We give him a timeout. We let him know that this kind of behavior, the exact behavior you're talking about as a young <laughs> child, when— Kids grab something and they write on the wall or they beat on the wall or they –
0: They don't, pull, want, they don't they, want what you're giving them, so they take the plate and they throw they it on throw the floor and the, smash they, it. Or, they, yeah.
1: they grab the cat's tail and they, yeah. they pull on it. They should be learning that their actions don't have – that they have consequences and you can't do whatever you want. You have to live in a group with a set of rules that is figuring out how to do these kind of things. Yet we're letting today – People go crazy. They're absolutely going nuts and doing whatever they want, whatever the s- flesh desires. I am going to make
0: that happen. And if you try to say you should not do that, but I have, but I feel, um, I, I, I feel oppressed. I feel that the, uh, this this wrong that's been done. I feel this way. I'm emotional. I'm disturbed. I'm upset. You know, we've got on, on college campuses. You know, we've got these safe rooms because there's, there are speakers that come to college campuses and say things that disturb, you know, people's psyches, even if they're not in the, in the audience and have to listen to it or attend it. Um, you know, I feel oppressed. Okay, well, it's got to be – you have a right to feel that way. Well, you know, why do – you know, why do people have a right – To feel um, anger, shouldn't they be told, well, that's not the right thing? You should, I don't care what the justification is. Um, You know, if a person slaps you on one cheek, excuse me, give them the other. These, this is the, you know, but we're told that uh, people who feel, you know, that they've been victimized, they have the right to basically do anything. Um, if the cause is deemed just, then you have the right to do anything. And causes that are deemed just are ones where people feel that they've been victimized. It's all based on what people feel, um, regardless of whether or not it relates to the truth. Um, case in point, Unipro Sarah. In, in the case of Father Unipro Serra, who is now, base, by the way— A saint, Uh, by uh, a saint, he's been accorded sainthood by the Catholic Church, and yet, according to the legislature in California, and by the way, the language I'm going to read to you has been approved by the in the California Senate by a vote of twenty-eight to two. It was approved in the California Assembly, the House, uh, uh, the Assembly, uh, by a vote of sixty-six. To two, and it was uh, signed. This the same bill. The language I'm about to read to you, signed and approved also, by Governor Gavin Newsom. A huge, a huge voice of uh, approval for the following. One of the greatest gaps between. This is actually written into the law in California. One of the greatest gaps between history and reality has been the retelling of the mission period in Native American history and the role of Franciscan Friar Junipero Serra. What we've been heard, what we've been told about Father Serra, he's a good guy, is so wrong. Um, it's, it represents one of the greatest gaps between history and, real, history and reality. So history is divorced from reality. Uh, This uh, uh, law goes on. The treatment of Native Americans was so horrific that in 1530, the Spanish King Carlos I forbid enslavement in the New World, and seven years later, Pope Paul III issued an edict seeking to end the massacre and enslavement of Native Americans, killing and enslavement, horrid treatment. 1530, 1537. OK, um, now, you know, the, just, just before this, a few lines just before this, this California law is talking about Father Unipero Serra. And as justification for what this law does, they bring up these incidents from 1530 and 1537. There's only one problem. It's a small technical problem. I mean, you know, we can be picky about these things. But Father Sarah wasn't alive in 1530 and 1537. I mean, if he was one of these people who was enslaving the Native Americans, so much so that the Spanish king and the pope at that time had to issue edicts against the slavery, coming out forcefully against slavery, well, you would think that You know, uh, that Father Sarah had been, for years prior to that, one of the parties guilty of enslaving these people. He wasn't born for another 200 years. Small technical problem.
1: So that would be like saying, since I have a German heritage, that for the next 200 years, any of us that have that are responsible for Hitler and all the atrocities that he did, right? How how do you go back 200 years and and say— you're somehow responsible for that, right? Somehow
0: responsible. I mean, if, if Father Sarah was guilty of horrid things, mention them. What are we talking—there's a huge disconnect. They mention Father Sarah, then they talk about events 200 years before. I mean, it does not compute. It goes on. In now, slate, this is the
1: law you're reading.
0: This is from the <laughs> law. Enslavement of both adults and children, enslavement of both adults and children, mutilation, genocide, and assault on women were all part of the mission period initiated and overseen by Father Sarah. They are saying Father Sarah is guilty on a mass scale of enslavement, mutilation, genocide, and assault on women. This language is unmistakable, and it is a lie. It is flat-out wrong. So how is it that by these votes, basically, let's see, we get a combined, combined vote of 94 to 4 in the legislature. I, I, I can do a little math, Bob. Um... It's pretty pure. Of course, 90, I'm not going ninety five percent. That's I'm pretty gonna, pure. I'm not going to let you see the document so you can <laughs> check my math. But anyway, <laughs> and of course, with the uh, with the approval of the governor as well, that this statement is even made. Um, and so the law goes on, and it overturns. It says section thirteen zero eight two of the government code is repealed. So after all of this buildup, what the law then proceeds to say is Section 3, 13082 of the Government Code is repealed. What is Section 13082 of the Government Code? The statutes of California passed at the 1965 regular session of the legislature includes Section 13082 that says, Subject to the approval of the Capitol Building and Planning Commission, the department shall acquire and do all acts necessary to erect and maintain a monument to Father unipero Serra on the grounds of the state capitol. So the state legislature of California says, we need a statue for this guy. And usually you do that because you like, you know, there's something good about the person that you want to honor. And come some years later, they say that he's guilty. That same legislature, different people now, that he's guilty of mutilation, genocide, assaults on women, enslavement. How is it that the legislature in 1965 got it so wrong? I mean, look, if he was, re- I mean, he's guilty of these things. This is a historical fact. The, I mean, the legislature is now saying that this is a historical fact. This is the truth. Of course, the truth changed because in 1965 it was different. But now the truth is he's guilty of these horrible things. If that is in fact the truth and the legislature in 1965 got it so horribly wrong, where's the proof? Where's the proof? And why, you know, yeah, I mean, I, if that was true, the legislature in 1965 would not have gotten it so wrong this people this guy would have been vilified at the time or certainly you know at the period shortly thereafter i mean this would this it doesn't make sense people come to hugely different conclusions where is the truth well the statute also it cites its authority for what for this accusation and it refers to—the statute actually refers to a book. This is the singular authority that it mentions. I mean, when you, you know, when you make a sweeping condemnation of the most grievous character, as this statute just did for this priest, and it cites two things, um, you have to imagine that the two things that it specifically takes the time to mention— are, in course, the best evidence for this accusation that they're making. No, it's not an accusation. It's a conviction. They're convicting this guy of this. One is these events that happened 200 years before. Okay, it doesn't sound, you know, so great so far. The second thing, the only other thing it mentions, is a book called A Cross of Thorns, The Enslavement of California's Indians by the Spanish Missions by a guy named Elias Castillo. So I was able to get some excerpts from his book, and one of them I found interesting was this. It said to him, to Father Sarah, um, well, it said Sarah's attitude was buried deep in medieval thought, and he reveled in it. To him, God and Catholicism were the sources of all knowledge and therefore unchangeable. So this is a criticism. Well, if it's a criticism of Sarah, it's also a criticism of the Catholic Church through its entire history. God and Catholicism were the sources of all knowledge and therefore unchangeable. It's also a criticism of this program. We started out by saying some of these very same things. If there is a God, then there is a truth and it is not changeable. If there is not a God, then truth is changeable. There is no real truth. Relativism on a grand scale. Um, so if this is a bad thing, I mean, he's, he's criticizing the idea of unchangeable truth. He's criticizing the idea of God.
1: He's saying all things are relative. Right?
0: If there Jesus is... Christ lived— if he was God come to earth as a human and died for our sins and was seen by 500 people after he rose from the dead, which inspired so many people to die martyrs' deaths being torn alive by animals in the Colosseum, if all of that is just foolishness, if we all just believe in that and it's all just foolishness, um, okay, but what if he did live? What if he rose from the dead? Ask the question. You know. By the way, if you're going to ask, where do miracles come from? You know, it's it was it's been a part of uh, a lot of of Protestant teaching, uh, Christians, uh, believers in Christ, but who nonetheless rejected the Catholic Church. The miracle stopped. at the apostolic age. Um, You know, the church got off base and there've been no miracles since then. Um, Well, of course, you know, the interesting thing, an interesting thing really might be, you know, what if like 1,500, 1,700 years after the apostolic age, or maybe even 1,900 or 2,000 years after the apostolic age, there continued to be miracles, and what if, some of them were connected to Father Sarah. I mean, if you are guilty of mutilation, genocide, salts on women, would God i mean could people like pray to you and get miraculous cures and you know because they find favor with God, well, guess what? Father Sarah had miracles of that sort um, we 'll touch on them but Here's the interesting thing: seven months after that book came out, this book, on which this law is based, which you know um, approved and, and and authorized and ratified and confirmed this this the toppling of the statues and so forth. Seven months after that book came out, Pope Francis made a visit to the U.S. And oh, by the way. Um, He talked about Father Sarah. Why? Well, because he just happened to be at the Catholic University of America to canonize Father Sarah. He made him a saint. Pope Francis, somebody who knows a lot about indigenous populations who were colonized by the Spanish. He comes from South America. He held a synod on... Uh, the indigenous populations of South America, and had um, you know indigenous rituals, native uh, South American rituals performed um, in Rome at the Vatican. He respects and loves the indigenous peoples of South America. Um, and he canonized Father Sarah months, just within months. After this book came out, now when the Catholic Church approves a saint, they go through an extensive process. They scour, you know, his writings. They scour contemporary accounts of the man. They actually came to uh, California, representatives of the Vatican, and conducted and conducted uh, depositions of fifty witnesses, descendants of people who, you know, were Spanish soldiers or, you know, who were Native Americans went you know lived in these missions um you know what kind of stories might have come down you know in their families They scoured everything that they could scour on the guy there was a you know repository of documents, ten thousand pages uh, of 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 information about father Sarah, and they came to the conclusion he was a saint okay, supposing you're um you're in the you're your, involved in that process. It's a lengthy process. Supposing you're involved in that process and then this book comes out and it reveals this dark side. Maybe you'd hit the pause button, right? You take a step back, whoops, hold thing. Hold it up. Let's not make a public proclamation just yet. Let's examine what's in this book. Maybe we never canonized this guy at all. I mean, if this is true, if the stuff in that book is true, mutilation, genocide, and all the rest of it, you're not going to, you know, come out and canonize him. So, this is when Pope Francis canonized him seven months later. It was a direct repudiation of the book. But now the legislature has come out basically and direct repudiation of that. If the California legislature and the governor of California have determined, as they have said in writing, they've made it law, that this man is guilty of these horrific things, and the church came up with a directly opposite uh, assessment of this man, they are refuting the church. The statue that was torn down uh, Father Sarah was a statue where he is holding aloft the cross. They tear down a statue of a priest holding a cross. They are tearing down a statue of the cross. This is these things are attacks on the church when mister Castillo writes as he did. That we believed in the truth, that Father Sarah believed in the unchangeable truth of God, and that that, of course, is a, is a reason to criticize him. You are criticizing this whole idea of the truth, the unchangeable truth of God. You are criticizing Catholicism.
1: By the way, I'm a big fan of the truth of God. And I mean, it. this whole program is based on that, right? It is based that Paul— This, this is not a question— Yeah. Right. That he speaks the truth. And the fact that it's still valid today, the truth that he wrote is still valid today, says that it really is the truth, right? You can write laws on some crazy book in a short period of time to get across the point that you want to make, but you will not change the truth. The truth will come out, and it will continue to come out, and this will look absolutely foolish.
0: This isn't a question of how you feel. This isn't a question about oppression. Um, this is a question about whether or not God is true. Right? I mean, in the in the end, that's what this is. You can make it about you can make it about enslavement and so forth, but look at what is written. You know, what's written, the narrative, the justification, indicates this is really about. The truth of God. It's an attack on a representative of the church and its attack on the church and its attack, really, on this whole idea of God and of God himself. But Mr. Castile continues in this one short excerpt, he continues and says, science and inalienable rights were subject to be banned from consideration. Inalienable rights. Well, you have to say that if you say that, you know, he enslaved these indigenous populations because the indigenous people had inalienable rights. And if you're going to impress these people and enslave these people, then you can't be a believer in inalienable rights. Hogwash. To say that Father Sarah didn't believe in inalienable rights means that he was the hypocrite of all hypocrites. Inalienable rights, which are under attack these days, come from God. The Catholic Church has always maintained that there are rights that you get from God. Your existence, your very being, um, derives from God. If somebody impinges on your right, they see to curtail your freedom, it's because they're assuming the power of God. That's what a lot of people are feeling these days, and it's not coming from the people who believe in God. Um, It's coming from these people who want to say that they're the champion of these rights. But if you don't believe in a God, you don't believe that rights come from God, then you have to believe that rights come from governments. They come from men. They come from women. They come from us. And if that's the case, then we can change them. So then they're not inalienable anymore, unchangeable. I mean, here he criticizes... In one short passage, he criticizes the idea of things being unchangeable and in the very next sentence says that certain rights, certain things are inalienable. It doesn't go together. You can't say in one breath that to believe things are unchangeable is foolishness and then the next breath to say that certain things are unchangeable. It, you know, I mean, so anyways— um, and,
1: and this is the book that the law was based on that allowed the statue in Sacramento, not in San Francisco in the, in the park, but the one in Sacramento to be torn down.
0: Yeah, yeah. And um, now, in response to this law being passed, Archbishop Jose Gomez um, from uh, Los Angeles and Archbishop Salvatore Cordeloni uh, from uh, the Diocese of San Francisco wrote a piece that appeared in the Wall Street Journal. And from it, I quote, no serious historian has ever made such outrageous claims about Sarah or the mission system. But the law says they flatly refute. So here we've got the church and the government again taking directly opposite positions. They say the lawmakers behind the bill drew their ideas from a single tendentious book written by journalist Elias Castillo, a tendentious book, a partisan book. They, however, refer to a different book. In the definitive history, quote, Unipero, uh, Unipero, Unipero, Unipero California, Indians, and the transformation of a missionary uh, of Santa Clara University scholars Robert Senkowitz and Rosemary Beebe uh, ba, 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 and it goes on. So there's another. Ooh, there's a different history. There's a different history, well, which one is which one is right. Well, maybe we need to look at Father Sarah. I mean, we've got these two dramatically competing histories, Which one is right. What, what can we know? What can we say that we know about Father Sarah? Well, as these archbishops continue to say, Sarah traveled 2,000 miles. Two thousand miles to Mexico City to demand that authorities authorities adopt a native bill of rights he had written. Oh, a bill of rights, inalienable rights, these rights that you know you, you the government can't impinge on. These are inalienable. The, a bill of rights. 2,000 miles he traveled. Now, one of those— For a people that he's supposed to have— Which he wants to enslave and oppress and mutilate and so forth. Sure. And one of those uh, items in that Bill of Rights was that Spanish soldiers shouldn't be able to take liberties, uh, as had been done on a wide scale with the indigenous women. Oh, but according to the California legislature, he initiated and oversaw assaults on women— But he travels to Mexico City 2,000 miles for the exact opposite purpose. I mean, come on. Um, As Pope Francis said when he canonized him in 2015, according to the Archbishop's Gomez and Corleone, Sarah is not only the country's first Hispanic saint, this country's first Hispanic saint, but should be considered one of the founding fathers of the United States. They're quoting the words of Pope Francis. Uh, <clears throat> now, there was a genocide that occurred in California against the natives. California's first, first governor, Peter Burnett, launched what Burnett called, quote, a war of extermination. There's um, uh, another problem again with this. Just the, You know, the, these technical issues, technical problems. That was in 1851. Sarah died in 1784 Sarah's being accused of things that happened before he was born and after he died enslavement in the 1500s extermination and genocide in the 1800s you know I mean, so how does this how does this happen how does this happen that you you know take these things that are I mean you accuse somebody of these horrific things when your your same government had just, you know, a few years earlier erected a statue to the guy. He's to a whole bunch of people and still to this day in the Catholic church in the eye, eyes of Pope Francis and others, he's a saint. But meanwhile, you know, the real truth is the hidden the hidden truth, the gap between the you know the story that's told and the reality, according to the California law, he's guilty of genocide, assaults on women, enslavement I mean it doesn't make any sense at all. it just doesn't pass the there must credibility be some agenda. Test.
1: there must be some agenda to try to toss him out like well we don't we don't want someone like this representing us we've we've got to tear him apart and have a have a desire to tear down the church to tear down the things that are good i well, I, I don't see another driver.
0: Let's, uh, you know, I mean, to understand this, maybe we need to, again, like I said, take a look at Mr. At, at Father Sarah. Well, Father Sarah wrote a diary. We still have it. On his initial trip to California, when he's first going up to California in 1769, um, it, was a night, it took him three three months to, uh, to make the trip. Um, and, uh, In this diary, he refers to the indigenous population as infidels or Gentiles. He explicitly avoids the terms that were used by many others at the time. Uh, Barbaros or uh, savages, uh, uh, indios, bravos, uh, wild Indians, barbarians, savages. He did not use those terms. He held these people in some sort of respect. However... Um, you know he's guilty of these these horrific things. Um, let's see. Um, they there's a man who um, the soldiers he was there was a man there was a Native American who apparently was fighting. Um, uh, and he was tied. The soldiers had tied him up. Um, It was necessary to do this because he continued, this is from the diary, necessary to do this because he continued to fight, uh, to fight, to keep them from bringing him to us. He put up such a hard fight that they had to drag him along the ground, which tore up his thighs and knees very badly. But they were finally able to bring him back. They brought him before me and making making him kneel, I placed my hands on his head and prayed the gospel of San Juan. I made the sign of the cross and untied him. And then he fed him. Father, you know, Father. I mean, the soldiers did what they thought, you know, you know, was, was the right thing to do. What did Father Sarah do? He you know, they him. tied him up. Father Sarah untied him. Um, there was another incident where um, a Native American came to him and said that his chief had sent him to spy on us. The chief and his rancheria, along with four other rancherias, that waited to join us were all in agreement that they would hide behind some rocks and wait for us to head back out on our journey. They would come out and kill the priest and his group, even if it was a large number of people. We forgave him. Then they gave gave this Native American back his bows and arrows. Yeah, sounds like something. I mean, if you were interested in genocide, I don't know that you would Would do that necessarily? You Um, you wouldn't do that
1: necessarily, right? You'd you'd root out all folks that are against you and and take them out, not leave them there to do that.
0: Uh, Father Sarah wrote uh, in a letter that if he was ever uh, to someone that if he was ever killed by the Indians, that was a distinct possibility. That if he was ever killed by the Indians, he would wish that these the, the people that that killed him would not be punished but we would rather be forgiven um, because, as Father Sarah put it, um, it was not to show God's, we didn't come there to show God's wrath, but to show God's mercy. Well, okay, that's a hypothetical. You know, if I was ever killed, this is what I would want. Well, it also, there's also a reality here. There was a friar, a good friend, a Catholic priest, there was a good friend of Father Sarah, who was killed in an attack in 1775. Uh, an attack. There was an attack by the California natives on the San Diego Mission. The whole place was burned to the ground, and they tortured and killed one of the Franciscans there, this good friend of Father Sarah. The Spanish military wanted to arrest the natives and execute them. Father Serra repeatedly wrote to urge them to spare the accused. In a December 15, 1775 letter to the Viceroy of New Spain, Father Serra said, quote, Let the murderer live so he can be saved, which is the purpose of our coming here and the reason for forgiving him. His good friend was murdered, and he preached forgiveness. Um, not the you know story of this horrible monster that's described. Um, now as they say he was he was canonized. He's been made a saint. Well, why would they do such a thing? Usually if you're a saint, they require that you know, that, hey, you know, some miracles. You got to have some miracles. Well, it, appears, it seems that um, in 1960 Right here in St. Louis, there was a nun who was gravely ill with lupus, Sister Mary Boniface Durda. But she knew nothing of Father Sarah. A chaplain from California uh, happened to meet her and urged her to pray to Father Sarah. He's not a saint. Why would you pray to this guy? Uh, Decades later, her recovery was evaluated by panels of physicians in St. Louis and Rome um, and that was one of the, it was the miracle that was uh, mentioned uh, in the canonization. Here you have a woman, hundreds of years after he died, who's got this grave illness. And she prays to Father Sarah. Um, and she uh, experiences this dramatic cure. Um, there's another, another woman. Her name is Sheila uh, Likas. She was a Panamanian artist. She survived 14 brain surgeries uh, for tumors called uh, meningiomas. Am I saying that right? I don't know. Anyways, um, she had been told time and time again that she was dying. One-third of her skull was removed and replaced replaced with acrylic plates. They, too, were removed because they were causing life-threatening infections. That left a large part of her brain covered not by bone or plates but only by flesh. Um, Yet she lived and survived for decades, Uh, even at 66, uh, an exuberant woman. And she says, quote, have you ever seen anything like this? She still has four benign tumors in her head. She says, have you? Brain surgery for 45 years. Blessed Uniparo, that poor man. He needs me. He gave it all. I'm telling you. I mean, she's just exuberant in her praise uh, for Father uh, Sarah. Uh, she talks about, uh, da, 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 da. Um, I think she talked about when she prayed to him. Uh, yeah, yeah, here it is. Um, so she also had no knowledge of Father Sarah. Uh, when 30 years ago, she experienced this healing. Uh, in 1979, she was in San Diego for a neurological exam. The evening before, she and her John U. Uh, S. Air Force major, uh, who's now retired, prayed at Sierra's mission, San Diego de Alcala. They were there I guess her, her, uh, her husband, I guess, was, was in the military, and so San Diego's a military base, and apparently the, you know, they were going to San Diego for a neurological exam. She says quote, "We both went through an ethereal experience. Something was communist down, so we could face." we had to face Um, 16 years later she visited a mission uh, to Father Sarah in uh, San Juan Capistrano she says quote I saw his statue and for some reason I put my hands on his feet I looked at him and said please take care of me and may God be my witness I started walking back to the car um, and it was as if I was levitating I didn't feel the ground that's when I realized it was Uniparo." Um, you know, she describes these mystical experiences at these, at these, at these shrines uh, to Father Sarah. These are the stories that get told about Father Sarah. People who pray, they know nothing about him, and then they pray to him, and then, you know, things happen. You know, so is this the kind of a guy who we're talking about? Um, you know, as, as being guilty of all of these these horrific things... Um, you know why is this happening? Um, there is a. Uh, it's not just you know, and, and it's not just um, it's not just the church. It's the church and the country. There is a desire to tear down um, what we know as civilization. What is what is good here? You've got a Catholic priest who fights hard for the indigenous. People there are when he found other friars who were abusing um, the the natives, he would have them sent back to Spain. He fought for this. Ulysses Grant fought end slavery, and they are now accused and ridiculed uh, as the people who are responsible for what it is they were fighting. You have a reversal of history under the name of correcting false history. Um, this, is not, this is not strange. This is not new. Uh, Pius XII was accused of being a collaborator with Hitler when, in point of fact, he gave sanctuary to the Jews. People in the Vatican falsified records, uh, IDs for these people so they could gain access to the Vatican where they could be safe. There were 150 sanctuaries in Rome alone for the Jews. There was an assassination pot on Pius the twelfth ordered by the Nazis. Um, you know, but Pius XII, by, according to many people today, is believed to be a, someone who collaborated with the Nazis. There's a book out uh, by a friend, of, a friend of mine, actually, Ronald Richlack, uh, professor of law at the University of Mississippi. It's called Disinformation. Well, it's the story of a guy, Ian Pachepa, who was the head of the Romanian intelligence agency, the KGB of Romania, uh, who, when it was part of the Eastern Bloc, was closely tied with the Russian KGB, and he talks about an orchestrated, planned, well-organized disinformation campaign against Pius XII as an enemy of the communists, the Catholic Church that wanted to attack the Church. They first tried it in 1945, but people's memories of Pius XII and what he did were fresh. It failed miserably. They tried it decades later and made it work. But it was a planned uh, act of disinformation. Lies became the real history. We're experiencing it now. If you look into the 1619 Project, you'll find the same thing. There is a narrative. People want to tear down things so they can replace them with something else. And in order to do that, you know, we have to change history. And that's okay. It's not the truth, but that's okay. And that's, and that's also what's being experienced with regard to Father Sarah. There are many people have been told that he you know oppressed the indigenous people horribly. he was their champion. He fought for them. Um, we need to know the truth. Uh, we need to you know stand up for these things um, and so. Hopefully, you know, in this program today, we helped shed a little bit of light on the case of Father, and you now St. Junipero, Sarah. Anyways, um, that's really—we've actually, you know, run a little bit long on our time, but, that, Bob, that's that's our program, and um, we're going to need—I think we're going to need help in all of this, and we need to pray to God for that help. And, Bob, if you would, help us, help us to do that.
1: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, let us understand always that you bring love and truth to us. Those are terms that are tossed around, and many people think they own them or have them or or understand it. It comes from you, Lord, and allow us just always to reach for that. Also, allow us not to be hateful, not to be spiteful. Your truth says not to do that, not to judge others. Allow us in all of this to truly love, like Yineper who loved others and, in fact, asked for, if he was murdered, for his murderers not to be treated harshly. We ask that we could do that, Lord, and always follow you, always follow your love, and always be loving of others. And then your truth will be told. We pray all this through the wonderful and glorious name of your Son, who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. In the name and of the Father, Father, and of the, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening.